Yep, amen. I, uh, I want you, I've been showing these videos to you because I want you to get yourselves plugged into a life group. You need to be in a life group. I, I think, you know, what Veronica was talking about with, you know, going through a difficult time and knowing the aloneness of that. And then in the, the second portion of what she went through, having people in her life that were a part of a group that she could cling to, and it became life and strength to her. You need to do that. If you're a member of the church, listen, I, I'm, if you're a member of the church, you need to get him to a life group. You need, okay? If you're, if you're not a member of the church, I, I really think you need to make yourself a member of the church and then get into a life group. We want you to because it really does change lives. And so I'm going to challenge you to do just that. I'm going to challenge you to get in, every one of you to get into a life group. And, and what if... I know this is a big what if, but, and, and what if you doing that, what if it's not all about you? What if it's about what God wants to do through you? What if it's not about what God wants to say to you, but what if it's all about what God wants to say through you? If you're not there, that doesn't happen. So get plugged into a life group. Because this is what I've challenged the life group leaders to do this year. I want to see every one of our life groups divide so to multiply and to begin to look for new leaders and new places. New life groups will come out of life groups, okay? I, I'm sorry, but that's the way that they will form and that's the way that they will function. And so inside of those life groups, I want each and every one of you to be a part of that, to be a part of that growth and that part of growing, to see more people have experiences like we talked about last week and, and this week. It only happens, though, if you go. So get signed up. Go be a part of that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, I am going to, uh, I, I want to I finish. I, don't wanna, I didn't want to stop in the middle of I want to finish this sermon that Jesus is bringing, this, the Sermon on the Mount. I, I, this is, honestly, as I, I've never dug into it the way I've been digging into it myself. And so there's so many things that I just have not seen before. And I want to share these things with you. This is one of the most important sermons. That's, I mean, I don't know that there's ever been a more important sermon preached. To be quite honest, this is Jesus. He's, he's, he's the sermon, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And he's introducing to us in the Sermon on the Mount the, what we call the Beatitudes, the blessings. And in this place where he's talking about these blessings, he's also talking about these curses. And he's talking about these two different kingdoms. He's introducing to you and I, and I've been talking about this for the past two, three weeks. He's introducing to us a counter-cultural kingdom ethic. A counterculture to the counter, to the culture in which we live in, from that day and age to this one. Listen, the the minds and the the things might change, but the minds and attitudes don't. And so, this kingdom ethic that's still at work in this kingdom is the same kind of cultural ethic that Jesus was talking about in the in the kingdom that was back in that day. And he's introducing this new cultural or countercultural kingdom, the kingdom of God. And he's talking about these two different kingdoms that are being presented. And then he begins in the midst of this beatitudes to describe this kingdom, these two kingdoms, and how we identify with each kingdom or which kingdom will establish our lifestyle. So you want to know which kingdom you are rooting yourself in? Look at your lifestyle. 
it will tell you which one you're rooted in. And so he's talking about all of this. And he talked about, and I brought up with you last week, the, these four different categories that he talks about, these completely counter-ethics in. These four things that this kingdom, this culture that we live in today has one form of ethics towards these things. And in God's kingdom, there's a completely counter-cultural ethic to these things. And we talked about, number one was wealth. We dealt with that last week. We talked about comfort. We talked about power. And we talked about fame. And these things that in his kingdom, he's saying in his kingdom, wealth and comfort and power and fame, they are dealt with differently than in this culture. Listen, Jesus' ways are way higher than our ways. Amen? Amen? So his ways are completely different than our ways. And this culture has a way of looking at these things and God's way of looking at them is different. So if God's kingdom is not about wealth or money, and and if it's not all about uh, comfort, if it's not all about power, if it's not all about fame, then what is his kingdom ethic all about? We need to see what he's teaching us and what he's sharing with us. And, And again, it's all about love. God's kingdom ethic is love. It's all about, ultimately, it's all about love. And we're going to look at this. And that sounds so sweet, doesn't it? We love that, don't we? Love, love, love. And God is love. But God is biblical love, not cultural love. God is real love, not a fake imitation love. And, and oftentimes, because we have been raised up and trained up in this culture... We would prefer a cultural love rather than the real, true, biblical love. Ultimately, God's kingdom is about love. And we're going to look at this. I want to read to you the next portion of scripture that we go into in this sermon that Jesus is preaching here. And looking at verses 27 through 36. And Jesus says this. He says, but I say to you who hear... So he says that a lot. Do you hear? I mean, do you hear? I mean, not just hear, but do you hear? When I'm preaching to you, and again, this, honestly, you know, my preaching to you is not about me. It's about God speaking through me. So when, God, when the word's being declared and when, and when God is using me to stand here and to speak to you, are you hearing Mark or are you hearing the spirit of God speak to you? Are you hearing what God wants you to glean from? Or are you hearing what a man has that he wants you to hear? Yeah. Do you hear? This is important. And Jesus is saying this is important for you. Because I say to you who hear. Okay, this is for those who hear. Not, again, he's not talking to those who don't hear because you know why? He can't hear. He's talking for those who hear. He says this, love your enemies and do good to those who what? Hate you. That is harsh. 
Wait, wait, I'll wait till I tell you the definition of what that word means. He says, love your enemies. Now, this is just crazy, a completely countercultural kingdom ethic. Love your enemies. Love those who hate you. Oh, he's not done, though. And then he goes on and he says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek? To someone who reaches out and slaps you? He says, offer the other cheek also. And from one who takes away your cloak? Now again, I'm thinking about that. These are people, these are people that are poor. These are people that all they have is the shirt on their back. They, all they've got is one cloak. And Jesus says, if somebody takes your cloak... Give them your tunic also. He's saying, if somebody takes the shirt off your back, give them your underwear too. <laughs> Basically what he's saying, because a tunic is nothing more than a thin uh, garment that, that you wear close to the body. He's saying, give them your underwear too. He says, give to everyone who begs. These are poor people. Some of them are probably beggars. And he's telling the beggars, I want you, if anybody, give to those who beg from you. I mean, he's completely turning this world upside down. He, he, and he says, he goes on and he says, from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Wait a minute. This is getting crazy here. What's Jesus saying? He says, verse 31, he said, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. And then he kind of goes back and begins to reiterate or to expound on the, what he had said in the beginning. So he goes back in verse 32, he says, and if you love, who's he call us to love? He calls us to love even our enemies. He says, if you, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Even, listen, even the carnal kingdom ethic loves those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even the sinners do the same. He said, you even do that in this kingdom. That is no big deal. And he says, and if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. He's talking about the carnal kingdom ethic. He's saying, you know what? Even in the carnal kingdom, you do that. But, and, and he changes course. But for those of you who hear, for those who hear, for those who find their roots in the kingdom of God, he says, he says this, he says, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. Here, he's talking about your daddy. He's talking about you being family. He's talking about you being a member, a part, intimately involved in his kingdom. And he says this, he says, for he, talking about God, is kind. Kind to who? He's kind to the ungrateful and the evil. 
And you know what? He goes on and then he says, and I want you to be merciful, even as your father is merciful. He said, if you're part of my kingdom, be like your dad. And that's what he's calling us to do. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Your word has been released in this place. Help us to receive it, Lord, with open hearts and open minds. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord God, I pray in Jesus' name that we would receive the word, that it would be rightly divided, that we'd hear, Lord God, what it is that you want to declare in the church today. Draw those who are apart from you to you, those whose roots are in the, the kingdom of this world, Lord. I pray they be uprooted today and rooted in your kingdom where they could find life and life more abundantly. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you draw back the backslider. That God, you take the prodigals and bring them home. That God, through your word and what's been read and declared out of your word, you would do what I could never do in a thousand years. Do it today, Lord. Let this place be filled with miracles. Let signs and wonders come. Let your kingdom be revealed in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen? Amen. So he, we read through all of this. What he's saying is he's saying, take everything of this carnal kingdom, everything that you have, have made it as an idol, everything that you have deemed to be important, he's saying, let it go. Let it go. Stop, stop holding on. Stop rooting yourself in these things that are meant of nothing. You're, he's talking about your wealth and your comfort, your power, your fame. He's saying, stop letting those things be the idols, the things that you seek, the things that you long for. Let it go. Because, church, that's what Jesus did. When Jesus was here, Jesus on this earth, and again, there, Jesus is, we're not talking about ultimately the, the, you know, the, the wealth of Jesus. But on this earth, did Jesus, was he wealthy? No, he wasn't wealthy when he was here. Was he comfortable? No, I mean, the Bible says us that he didn't even have a place to lay his head. Did he have an official position of power? Did he have fame? Some. That fame sure didn't do much for him, did it? Come on, he had some fame. Oh, they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, for a couple days. And those same shouts became, crucify him. Man, fame is fickle and fleeting. And uh, it turned to venom on Jesus. And even in all of that, even in his earthly condition, his earthly place, he, he's declaring to you and I his earthly, this kingdom ethic that he is d declaring here on earth. And the kingdom ethic is love. Now again, I, I want to break these things down because this is so important for us to understand. Because we're talking about God's kingdom ethic. And the first thing he says in verse 27 is he says, love your enemies. That word love in the Greek, if you look that up, you'll find that it's the word agapeo. It's agape love. It's the highest form of love there is. 
He's not calling us to, you know, phileo or, or to a lower type of, of love. He's talking us to the most committed, the most dedicated kind of love, the most passionate kind of love. He's, t- he's talking about 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. He's talking about that kind of love, the kind of love that God had towards you when he came and saved you and gave his only begotten son for you so that you could have eternal life. The kind of love that God has for you is the kind of agape love that God is calling you to have for your friends. No. That's what he's calling you to have for your enemies. Hey, who's your enemy? Don't, listen, you know what? I was thinking about that, and we have this tendency, don't we, when I start thinking about, oh, who's my enemy? We start getting into this philosophical, ideological world where, you know, my enemy is, you know, world hunger. No, what Jesus is talking about when he says love your enemy, when you talk about your enemy, whose face comes to your mind? Who do you see? Who is it that has stood against you? Who is it that creates the most grief in your life? Who is it that's caused you harm and pain and damage in your life? Who is it that's brought evil into your life? Who is it that has brought injustice into your life and anguish and strife into your life? Because Jesus says, love, agape, your enemy. This is like, whoa, hold on a minute. This is craziness here. Which kingdom are you rooted in? Because he's not done. He goes on and, and he says, and do good to those who hate you. It's easy to do good to those who do good to you, isn't it? Yes. This kingdom does that. Jesus is saying, you're not of that kingdom. You're of another kingdom. You're of a heavenly kingdom. And in my heavenly kingdom, you need to do good to those who do evil to you, to those who hate you. Who hates you? I know there's people that hate me. Hey, there's people that hate me because of maybe things that I've done in the past, people that I don't even know, people that I hurt before I even came to Christ that still see my face when this question is asked. Who do you hate? Mark. The pain he caused me when we were younger. Or there's people today that, you know what, for the cause of Christ. There's people that hate this church because of the things you do and the declaration of Jesus that we make. And because I'm the face of the church, they hate me. Happens. It happens. Who is it that hates you? Who is it that dislikes you with a passion? Who is it in your life that just really, I mean, despises you? Disowns you? Who hates you? If you look at the Greek word for that hate, one of the meanings is, is who has spit on your heart? Who spit on your heart? Because Jesus is saying, do good to them. Do good to them. The word of God tells us, don't return evil for evil. 
And then, and he goes on, and he's not done. I mean, I know this is getting heavy here, but we gotta hear this. This is Jesus' sermon. Yes, we and in verse 28, he says, and I want you to bless those who curse you. Cursing can mean a lot of things. I mean, there can be this spiritual curse that somebody declares over your life. There can be curse words that are spoken in a meaning or unmeaningful way that bring curse into your life. And there can be just, I mean, so many different ways that we can be cursed. But even in the natural, in the world, when someone curses you, somebody speaks evil about your character, Someone says things about you that you know are just slanderous attacks that they're trying to bring doubt against who you are, to come against the very nature of who it is that you are. People that gossip about you. People that tell rumors about you. Half-truths. People that will lie about you. You know, when people begin to curse us in those ways, our tendency is to want to throw more logs onto the fire. And we end up with what Proverbs calls a great inferno. James says that it's with our words. That little spark becomes a huge fire. And Jesus is saying, stop throwing logs on the fire. If you're of my kingdom, put water on it. That means, shut your mouth. Curl up your fingers. Start sucking your thumb so you can't reach the keyboard anywhere. Church, we got to stop throwing fire, logs onto the fire. That means this, when people insult you, no more insults back. No more gossip. No more spiteful words. No more bitterness. No more anger. Don't return a negative comment for a negative comment. Don't respond back with a negative post because somebody made a negative post or said something about you or somebody blogged something that said about you or about the church or about this or that. Stop responding back with negative for negative. Stop responding back to those who criticize you with criticisms towards them so that you can build your character up by bringing theirs down. Stop doing that. He says in those cases, bless them. Bless, bless, bless. God is all about us blessing those who have cursed us, those who hate us, those who don't care for us and slander our names. Bless them. I know we're losing some of you, huh? No, come on, stay with me. Because this, this we're going to get to some stuff you really won't like. Because like this, those are some things that happen in our lives. Those are things, and Jesus is saying, I'm talking to you about these things because I know that these things happen to you. Every one of you, I can see by the shaking of your heads, every one of you understands what it's like to be in this place where there's enemies or people hate you or you, you, know, you struggle in these areas. We've all been through that place where people have said things about us and cursed us. And Jesus, he gives us, and he's saying this, he's saying, those are painful parts of your life. Those are very painful things to walk through. But I want you to know the most painful parts of your life are the most glorious opportunities to live out a new kingdom ethic. 
And it's what God offers us the opportunity to do. But for Christians even, what happens is we find ourselves into these circumstances. And how many of you found yourself in circumstances where people were saying this and that and doing this and that and you had all these things that have happened back in the past and all these things going on and we find ourselves in this position we don't understand where we're at and we cry out, God, why? Come on, how many of you have cried out, why, God, Why? Why am I in this relationship issue? Why am I in this problem? Why am I hurting? Why am I poor? Why am I suffering? Why am I going through this, God? Why am I struggling? Why, God? And God says, if you're of my kingdom, blessed are you. Blessed are you. Because what, through this, whether it was God's, you know, God, God didn't have to bring things into your life for God to use those things to be a blessing in your life. Whatever it is that's come into your life, whatever it is that's going on in your life, whatever it is that's come against you, whatever it is that's happened in your past, whatever it is that's gone on, every single opportunity, our thing you've gone through is an opportunity to experience a little bit of what Jesus did when he walked on this earth. It's an opportunity to be transformed so that we might look a little more like Jesus. It's to be able to walk into this world. It's an opportunity for you to be able to reflect Jesus to a world that needs to see him. It's all an opportunity. Well, I don't want to see it as an opportunity. I think Jesus just changed it all. It's an opportunity. But the opportunity will be determined by your view of God in the midst of that circumstance. If you view God to be a God of woe, if you think that God is a God who's judging you, a God who's angry at you, a God who's cursing you, a God who's paying you back for all the bad you've done, if, you have, if, God, if your God is a God of woe, then when tragedy happens or sickness comes or strife or grief or poverty or you're experiencing pain, you'll get angry with God. You'll become disheartened. You'll become disappointed. You'll become depressed and you will turn from God. Why would you draw near to a God of woe when you're in pain? But if your God is a God of blessing... No, my God is a God. Hey, I'm going through this. My God is a God of blessing. My God is a blessing. Listen, if your God is a God of blessing, you can rejoice in every and any circumstance. In every single situation, everything becomes an opportunity for me to practice my new kingdom ethic. Everything is an opportunity for me to become a better kingdom citizen. It's all an opportunity. Whatever you're going through, and my heart goes out to those who are going through difficult places. But it's still an opportunity, an opportunity for you to declare, to show the kingdom ethic. Now, please hear me out here. I, I want to be really, really careful. I've walked through this already a couple times with Pastor Trevor because I wanted to explain this in a way that, um, that it didn't get twisted in anybody's mind. Let me say this as a precursor to what I'm about to say, that our God is a God who meets our needs according to his glorious riches that are in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, our God is the one who supplies and meets those needs. Our God is the one who provides those places. He is the one who does that. He knows exactly, not only does God know where we've been, he knows where we are and he also knows where we're going and we don't. 
And so we trust him. But if you think that Jesus came to this earth and went through everything that he did just so that Jesus could make you rich. Look, Jesus didn't come to this earth. Again, we hear what he said here. He's standing, he's, he's talking about these things. And if, if you just think that Jesus came to make you rich, listen, Jesus won't make you rich. Jesus won't make you powerful. Jesus won't make, he's not all about making you comfortable. Jesus it won't make you famous. Jesus, listen, he, Jesus won't make everyone be nice to you. He won't. Can he supply and meet those things in our life as we need and as God's called us in different places? Absolutely. Does God love to do those things and bless his children? Absolutely. I am not saying that he doesn't. I'm saying that he does. But listen, if what you are doing is pursuing Jesus so that he can supply you with riches and power and fame and all of these things that he has just confronted as idols... If that's what we're doing is looking at Jesus to provide these things that Jesus is calling idols, then we have just, in Jesus, created the greatest idol giver this world's ever known. We can use Jesus to create wealth and comfort and power and glory. We can use Jesus for health and, and, and healing and success and prominence. And, and I'm not saying that he doesn't supply those things. We're called to pray for those things. I'm not saying that. But if what we're doing is just using Jesus as a means to an end, then we have, in Jesus, made the greatest idol giver ever. Church, we can also, and again, he supplies and meets those needs, but we need to assume that no matter where or how the present circumstances have come into our lives, that at this present and in the circumstance you're in, it is an opportunity for a good God to bless you. I have found over the years and all of the blessings and places that God has provided that, you know what, I, they never have, I can't think of a single time when they came the way I thought they should. We've prayed for God's breakthrough and he brought things in a different way than I ever. And we, we were praying for financial help and financial breakthrough. And you know what God did? He lowered our income. <laughs> and through that, he forced us to learn how to have a budget. And it changed our finances forever. We just wanted another check in the mail. God wanted to teach us to fish. Listen, I want you to do this. In every situation, in every circumstance, assume that God is good. And assume that God is doing good. That he can take everything, no matter where it's come from or how it's come, and use it for good. It may not feel like it. It may not look like it. We may not understand it. But that doesn't change God because his ways are higher than our ways are. Amen. Whose ways will we put our trust? In his kingdom ways or in these carnal, worldly ways? Now, I say all of that, and I full well know 
that we read this scripture that I, was just up there. And I know that some of you would say, but you don't understand, Pastor Mark. I've been abused. I, things happened as a kid. Things happened in my life. I've been sexually abused, physically abused. I've been mentally abused, verbally abused. All, I, I've been through this. I, you don't know the pain. How, you can't say that. And, and you're right. I don't understand. And I'm not making light of that in your life. I promise you. And neither is Jesus. But what Jesus is saying, he's saying to those who have been abused, he's saying, that's not your identity. That's not who you are. Stop letting that define your life. You are not a member of this kingdom. You are a member of my kingdom. And in my kingdom, you are a child of the Most High. You are a daughter. You are a son of your daddy. And he is in heaven. You are a kingdom kid. He's calling you to a new place. He's calling you out to be loved by the Father like you've never been loved before because you are a citizen of his kingdom and church when we get hold of this when we grasp this we can become a kingdom person who now is able to even pray for those who have abused us we have to grasp this you see jesus is trying to save us He's trying to save us from Satan. He's trying to save us from sin. He's trying to save us from death. And he's trying to save us from the most difficult place, from the most difficult person there is to save us from. He's trying to save us from ourselves. You know, there, there, there's some of you that think, no, the devil's just always after me. Listen, the devil doesn't have to be always after you. In fact, the devil probably in some of our lives has to do very little. We take care of it ourselves. Church, if we don't learn to bless those, as he said, bless those who abuse us, if you don't, you will, if you have not already become, you will become bitter. And you will become an angry person, hostile even to those who love you, selfish, self-righteous, vindictive, judgmental and Jesus says because those, those are the ethics of this kingdom and he says to you woe woe are you woe are you it doesn't have to be that way but man when we are attacked by these worldly systems when we're attacked in the way that the world attacks, isn't it our first inclination to respond back in the same kind of worldly way? We respond back in this way that we've just always known because this is the way that's most comfortable. It's what we always know. Somebody says something to me that's hurtful, I'm gonna say something that comes back that's hurtful. That's the way we do it. And we respond in the ways of this kingdom rather than in the ways of his kingdom. Which kingdom is your identity rooted in? And then he goes on, and he's not done. And he says in verse 28, he says, and I want you to pray for those who abuse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now, listen, I'm going to ask you to do this. I, I talk about this. You need a prayer list. 
Okay, you need a journal, you need a prayer list. We talked about this in last night. And, and, you know, again, if you're not coming out on Saturday nights, I invite you to come out on Saturday nights from 6.30 to 7.30. We are going through this battle plan of prayer, but it is amazing in the time of prayer and, and, and just making a list. You, you need to make a list. And I'm gonna ask you to make a list of this. Jesus wants us to. Make a list of those who have abused you or mistreated you. Those who may be mistreating you or abusing you even now. Of those who may in the future abuse you. Make a list. And I'm not talking about you not calling the police if they're doing something that is illegal. If somebody is physically abusing you or sexually abusing you, you call the police. If you're going through, you call the police. I'm not saying don't. I'm saying yes, you do that. Follow the laws of the land and you do that. If, uh, and again, it doesn't mean you don't confront people of their sin. But church, this list is not a list that you make of a record of wrongs. Not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you making a prayer list and you're gonna begin to pray for those, as God says, that have abused you. Jesus said this. Pray for those who abuse you and we pray for them for two reasons. One, your heart. Two, their heart. One, your heart, because you need to have a heart that's right towards these people, a heart that's right like God has towards them. You need a heart that when you come in contact with them, you're not vindictive and mean-spirited and bitter, that you can be a blessing to them. And when you come into contact with them, you're no longer gonna feel that angst. You're no longer gonna feel those butterflies. You're no longer gonna feel that fear rise up in you because you have dealt with, with God, your heart. But it's also for their heart that God would minister their love to them, that God would minister his heart to them, that God would minister his grace to them, and that God would bring them to their knees that they could call upon Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of their life and be forgiven and be cleansed and come to this place where they could become a child of God as well. We pray for our hearts. We pray for their hearts. And then he says, in verse 29, and he says, and, and don't retaliate. Don't slap them when they slap you. This is tough. He says, don't return evil for evil. Don't return abuse for abuse. Don't bring cursing for cursing. Don't bring hostility for hostility. He, listen, he says, and some of we, we do this, some of you do this. Keep a record of wrongs. Some of you, it's not a prayer list. It's a record of wrongs. And you keep a record of wrongs for the wrong reasons. 1 Corinthians 13 is God's description of agape love. And in God's description of agape love, he gives that to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And then here in Luke, he says, I want you to agape love your enemies. This is a place of agape love. And that means that in that love, because God's kind of agape love keeps no record of wrongs. 
And a record of wrongs is when we say, well, you did this to me, so I get to do this to you. Well, you've done this to me, so I'm going to do this back. You've done this, and I'm going to do this. We do it in marriage all the time. Well, you've done this, so I'm going to do this. You, did, you, you acted this way, so I have the right to act this way. You did this, and now I get to hang it over your head for the rest of your life. Listen, I, I know this isn't easy. But these are ways in which we keep record of wrong. And Jesus is telling us, that's not the ethics of his kingdom. That are, those are the ethics of this kingdom. And he says, woe to you. Woe to you. Do not retaliate. And then he calls us in, in verse 30. You would think that he would get easier with these things, but it doesn't. He says in verse 30, he says, I want you to give freely. I want you to give freely. And this is, again, this is where we really see how the ethics are sticking. What, what is it that we're doing? Because listen, people vote with their wealth. Hey, I get, I get people that, that get upset with us because we, we share every week, we share about tithes and offerings and giving. And, and we think that that's because, oh, the church just wants our money. You know what? The church does the church, God can supply and meet our needs no matter what. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't. I know that's a, he doesn't need your money. He needs your heart. And where your treasure is, so your heart will be. Want to know where your heart is? Look at where your treasures are. And that's what God is calling us into what he's talking about. And he calls us, because listen, no matter where you are or who you are, you all give to your God. Everyone. You look and see where you're really giving. Where it is. Because it's where, listen, if it's food, then that's your first priority. I love how God calls it first fruits. If it's fame or, or, or power or glory or identity or prestige or comfort, if you're, listen, if you're worried about what kind of house you live in, if, if your top priority is what kind of car you drive, if your top priority are designer socks, I said this in first, if it's what name is on your underwear, <laughs> look, if those are things that are the most important and they are the most important to some of you, Isn't it amazing that people will, uh, people will give very, very nicely, I mean generously, to Calvin Klein so they can have his name on their underwear. Oh, but the church, all the church wants is my money. It's, a, it's not about our money, it's about our heart. It, it's all about our heart. Because listen, if you can give generously to God, if you can be one of those that are giving generously to God, giving generously to his kingdom, it shows that you don't have the mentality of a rich person. 
It's the kind of mentality that he's coming against. God's not coming against wealth. God's not coming against the wealth of the world. He's, not, he's coming against an attitude of the wealthy where that wealth and the money becomes their idol. It becomes their, 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 the pursuit of their life. It becomes their identity. And he's confronting it as an idol. And he's talking about people, though it doesn't matter how much you have, it matters. He's talking about people that are not generous. People that are not good stewards. People who are not gracious with what God has blessed them with. But for those who have open hands, for those who are, are willing to say, hey, Lord, you know what? I, I, everything I have, I'm just a steward of. I am just a steward of what you have blessed me with and what you have given me. Lord God, I am just here to be a servant of your kingdom, not this kingdom. And we are willing to give generously to God to, as the Holy Spirit leads us to share and to be a wise steward. He, God says this. He says, blessed are you. Blessed are you. And again, he's not talking about blessed are you when you give everything away. He's saying blessed are you when you have this type of attitude because it's a kingdom attitude. And when you have a kingdom attitude, blessed are you because what you're doing is you are laying up treasures in heaven. The place where you're going to live forever. It's like a, a, a holy savings account. <laughs> Blessed are you because you're not a hoarder. Blessed are you because you're not withholding and holding back. You're willing to give and you're willing to share as God calls you to. Now, again, this whole thing, this, this last verse that I'm going to look at right here is uh, the, the big idea of this countercultural kingdom ethic of Jesus. And it's this, verse 31. He kind of pulls it together with this verse. Treat other people the way that you want to be treated. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. It's really as simple as that. And, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Because we are a people, aren't we? We, we? In our nation specifically, especially in our nation, in the world in which we live as a general, but specifically in our nation today, we're all about our rights, aren't we? I have the right to this, and I have the right to that. You don't have the right to do this. But we're all about our rights. But we're completely oblivious to the obligation that we have as kingdom citizens. This obligation that God calls us to. You know, we think nobody owes us, everybody owes us something, and nobody, I don't owe anybody anything. That's the worldly ethic. But Jesus says, treat others the way you want to be treated. Treat others the way you want to be treated. You, do, do you want other people around you in your world, in the place? Do you want other people to be generous? Do you want other people to be compassionate? Do you want other people to be kind? Do you want other people to be merciful? Do you want other people to be gracious? Then we as kingdom citizens in this world have an obligation to be those things yes, we do. to be those things look God's not looking for you to just do merciful things he wants you to be merciful he's not looking for you just to do gracious things he wants you to be gracious 
because that is where your roots are. That is where your identity is coming from, his kingdom. Because in this kingdom, it's going to stand out like a sore thumb because this kingdom knows nothing of those values, knows nothing of those ethics. There's just faint shadows in this world, but it knows nothing of that kind of ethic. You can find in this world some people that may be merciful or, or do merciful things, but God's calling us to a higher level, to a different place. Those people, think about those people that were there that day, that were listening to Jesus in this sermon. They, they had never considered that there could be a king like Jesus a kingdom like Jesus is sharing and talking about? How in the world? And these people came from miles and miles. They walked, some of them, for days on end to get there. They had to leave behind everything that was valuable. They had to walk away from their home. They had to walk away from their animals, from their crops, from all the stuff that they had. They had to walk away from their jobs. They had to walk away from their income. They had to walk away from all of this stuff. And, and yes, power came out of Jesus and there was healing and there was deliverance because Jesus is healer. Jesus is deliverer. There was healing and, and, and deliverance that happened. But in those crowds, that size of a crowd that were there, most of those people that were there that day did not come for what Jesus could do for them. They came to hear the hope of a new kingdom. Amen. And they came to meet the king. Yes. This is what Jesus wants for us. Because church, I'll wrap up with this. Because the kingdom of God is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The kingdom of God is not about getting. The reason the kingdom of God is not all about getting is because in the kingdom of God, we already have. So the, the kingdom of God, it's not about getting wealth and it's not about getting power and it's not about getting comfort. It's not about getting fame. The kingdom of God, it's not about getting, nor is the kingdom of God about doing. It's not about you and I, that we would do whatever we think we need to do so that God would be pleased and then I can be pleased, then God can be pleased with me. It's not about doing. The kingdom of God is ultimately about being. It's all about being in a relationship with Jesus. It's all about that. You know, I mean, there's people who, who honestly, they, they, for their whole lives, they can't wait to take a trip to Israel to go to the Holy Land. You know what? The kingdom of God is not about the Holy Land. It's about a holy king. It's about, it's about a holy kingdom. It's about him. And, and it's about repentant people who by grace have received what the king of kings brought here into this kingdom to shine for you and I a little bit about what this kingdom will be like. Those who are receiving by grace the forgiveness of sin and repenting so that they might be connected with him. The one who came into this world to be the light to show us the way out and that we might be conformed to him as we follow him. This kingdom is not about going somewhere. It's about being with someone Amen. it's all about him and so church it's not about this building his kingdom it's not about new life not about making you feel good because you come to church so we've punched our spiritual time clock and we can stand before God and say look at how good my attendance was kingdom is about 
the one that's at the center of it all. And at the center of it all is Jesus Christ. And our faith is in him. I'm so glad that we don't know where this sermon was preached. We don't know exactly where. You'll find all sorts of different places. They don't know exactly where it was preached. And I'm so glad because if they did, there would be, it would now be today a holy place. And people would be drawn to this holy place. It wasn't about where the sermon was preached. It was about the one who stood there and preached the sermon. Church, those pl- the place where those people stood is no different than where we stand. It's nothing, it is nothing more than dirt. But the one who stood there is nothing less than God. It's all about him. And that is the big idea of the kingdom ethic. It's all about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. It's only about Jesus. It's completely about Jesus. It's never not about Jesus. It's all about him at the center. It is never swerving. It is never ending. It is all about Jesus. He is the king and it is his kingdom that we are rooted in. Again, it's not, a, it's not about our religious performance so that we might gain some wealth so that we can feel like his approval is upon us. It's not about us trying to find a place where we can be comfortable in this life so that life would be easy. It's not about getting the power that we need to control our own destiny. And it's not about the fame that we might seek so that others would speak well. Church, it's all about him. It's all about, it's only about Jesus. It's not about your name. It's not about your fame. It's not about your authority. It's not about your reputation. It's about his name. It's about his authority. It's about his power. It's about his reputation. It's about his kingdom in which he is the king. It's about his ethics. And that's what it's all about. But there are people, even people in the church, who would agree with, I was reading some statements about different people, about their different beliefs in Jesus. And even Gandhi, it was written that he wrote this. And I know that some of you may even fall in these categories. Well, I really don't believe Jesus is God. There are those who say, Jesus isn't God. He even said it himself. He's the son of God. Okay, and, and again, for those, I, I've gone through, and I, in the last few weeks even, I, I've shown you where that is absolutely untrue. Son of God is an absolute title of deity. It is, he was using an Old Testament scripture that talks about the deity of God. It's truly saying he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. But there are those who don't believe that. There are those who say, well, I don't believe that Jesus is God. I don't believe he's the Savior. I don't really believe he's the Lord. I don't believe that he is the one who's able to regenerate and make new my heart. I don't believe that he's able to pour his spirit out. And I don't believe that he's come to do that. I don't believe that he's come to give me the capacity to walk in this new kingdom and to be transformed and changed to his likeness. I don't believe that. All I really believe is that these are some wonderful, wonderful ancient moral truisms so that we can have a better life. We don't really, there are those who just do not believe that Jesus truly is God. He's just a really good guy. And church, let me just tell you, woe to you if Jesus is nothing more than a teacher. Woe to you if Jesus is nothing more than a prophet. Woe to you if all Jesus is is another religious leader. And, and honestly, if that's all he is, he's not a very good one because he lied to us. 
He says, woe to you. If all he is is a philosopher, woe to you. If all you think he is is just a really good guy. Woe to you. Because church, it, it's all about Jesus. It's not even mainly, it's not even mainly about his teaching. It's about his person and his work. His person is Emmanuel. He is God with us. His work coming to save us. He came from heaven. God came from heaven into this dark-filled world with no hope and no way out. And he came into this world to be the light that would shine so that we could follow him because he's the only one that knows the way out. And he says, come unto me when you're uh, heavy burdened and heavy laden. Come unto me. Come follow me. I'll show you the way out. He came as God and he came to save you. That's what it's all about. He came to get you in this kingdom that you were locked up in to show you a new kingdom, a kingdom that he's calling you to. And this humble king came into these humble circumstances to come into this place, to come into this world, to an insignificant little town of Bethlehem, to be raised up in a town called Nazareth where nobody good thing comes from Nazareth. He came to a bunch of, a place of nowhere, to a bunch of nobodies to love them and to serve them and to save them. And he comes to a little town of Tooele. To a nowhere place, to a bunch of people who in the, in the lost place of this world are, feel like no ones. And he came to nowhere, to no ones, to make them someones. And that's what he did. And he came into this world knowing that he was going to go to the cross. Knowing that that was his destiny. Knowing that he would die for all the sins. He died for your sins. He died for my sins. He came knowing that. And he knew that he was going to come into this world. He knew that he was going to die a violent, painful death. And he knew that he would go to the grave. He knew that he would rise out of the grave because the grave couldn't hold God. And he knew that God would come forth, show himself, and then he would ascend where? Yes, to do what? He went to heaven to prepare a place for you. In his kingdom, this is what he did for you and I. He went to the kingdom to prepare a place for you so that we could experience his blessings, not cursing. In church, all of this, his kingdom, starts in the church. It starts right here. And again, I'll really wrap it up now this time. <laughs> we are in a state today, in this place, it's called the already not yet state of the church. It's an aspect of the kingdom. Already, but not yet. And I'll explain, because there are a lot, if you read, a lot of, you know, the Jewish people and the people of Israel, they, they uh, don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah because they said, we look around and we don't see his kingdom. And that's one of the reasons why so many in the Jewish faith don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They look around and say, well, we don't see his kingdom. But, like they, but they do believe the Old Testament that talks about King David, the great King David. 
And King David, even as a little boy, King David came before the prophet Samuel, and the prophet Samuel was called by God to take the anointing oil and anointed David as a boy to be the king. He anointed him at that point, and from that moment on, when Samuel came to him, or when he came to Samuel and Samuel anointed him, from that moment on, David was anointed and appointed to be the king. But there was a long period of time before he actually began to reign in his kingdom here on earth. There was 15 years or so between the time of his anointing and pointing and the time of his reigning. In church, Jesus is the same. It's the same way. David was the prototype. David was the foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus. And Jesus came into this world and God anointed him and God appointed him. He is the anointed, appointed king. Yet he has not returned to establish the fullness of his kingdom here on earth. Yet. Yet. And right now we are in this place of this already not yet kingdom. Paul describes it. And for those who have faith, for those who have eyes to see, for those who are filled with the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit in their life, for those whose eyes have been opened to what God is doing, you see the kingdom. You see his kingdom here on earth. You see people repenting of their sin. You see people that were bound up in guilt and condemnation being set free as the blood of Jesus washes and cleanses and makes white as snow. You see people that were selfish becoming people that are now unselfish. You see people that are greedy becoming givers, being generous, being those who will reach out. You see people that are mean-spirited now becoming kind and becoming grace-filled. We see people that are filled with shame and condemnation being absolutely wholeheartedly transformed by the power of God in their life. We see people who are bitter now becoming forgiving and gracious people. You get to see the kingdom of God and you see the kingdom of God in the people that are around you right here in this place. This church is nothing more than the outpost of the kingdom community that God is pouring out. The beginning, it's the dawning, it's the inauguration of the rule of King Jesus. What's he gonna come for? He's coming for his church, the bride. He is coming. And listen, for those who are a part, who are a part of that, those who have received, you see the kingdom. You get to see the kingdom. I get to see the kingdom all the time in the transformed lives of those of you that God is working in, that God is working through, that God is doing incredible things in. And I know that there are those who would say, well, I don't see the kingdom. And I don't mean this with any, any condemnation. More than likely, you don't see the kingdom because you're not a part of the church. You haven't given your, your life to Christ. And so you don't see the work of Christ. You don't see the citizens of the kingdom. And you don't see the change in the transformed lives. You don't see your heavenly father. You don't see daddy's love working in the lives of his kids. You don't see the transforming power of God that's moving and ministering in the lives of people around you. Listen, if you want to see the kingdom of God, don't look at all the nations around the earth and say, well, why are there still kings then? Well, if the kingdom of God is alive and well, then why is there so much pain? Why is there so much agony in our world? Why are there wars? Why is there problems here on earth? Why are there still so many bad things? Why is there still so much evil? 
Because Jesus has not brought the fullness of his kingdom to the earth yet. You want to see, you want to see the kingdom of God? Go to church and start meeting some people that have been redeemed and set free because they met Jesus Christ as the Lord of their life. You know what you'll see when you see people like that? You'll see the dawning of God's kingdom here on earth. And in the church is where you see the unveiling of the ethics of the kingdom of God. Lauren, would you guys come on back up? I get to see the kingdom all the time. I get I have the privilege of seeing God's kingdom at work all the time. And you know what? It's not about this building. It never has been. I see the kingdom at work in you. I hear the testimonies. I see the, the forgiveness. I, I see the guilt that's removed. I see God doing amazing things when some of you, and I've even been privileged to be a part of it with some of you. I see you becoming a Christian, giving your heart to Christ. I see you repenting of your sins and being forgiven, actually forgiven and knowing it. It's changed me. I've watched some of you being transformed. I mean, completely, your life turned upside down. And now where you used to live by the ethics of this world, you are now completely and wholeheartedly committed to living by the ethics of his kingdom. That is the kingdom of God here on earth. I get to see the kingdom at work all the time. And for those whose eyes can see, for those who have been born again, for those who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and have become members of his kingdom, you get to see his kingdom at work as well. And God says, blessed are we. Do you see the kingdom at work? Do you see the kingdom at work in you? See, these are two completely, I mean, completely diametrically opposing kingdoms. And God's saying, which one do you find your identity in? Which one do you take root in? Because which one you find yourself taking root in is where you will find your identity. And wherever you find your identity, you will find that your identity will dictate your lifestyle, your behavior. So church, which kingdom are you rooted in? Let's pray. Lord God, in the name of Jesus Christ, we come to you and thank you, God, that you are so gracious and so good. I thank you, Lord God, that we are blessed people, that, Lord, you have done so much for us. But, Lord God, we look to you, to the person of Jesus Christ, Lord, more than any of the things in which you might do for us. Oh, God, I pray in Jesus' name that we wouldn't seek after that which you call an idol, but that, Lord God, we would seek after you, the one who meets our needs, the one who is gracious and good, the one in whom we can trust in every situation, in every circumstance, to be at work doing good. God, you're even able to take what the enemy has meant for evil and to use for good. You're a good God. And I pray that if there are any in this place today that have not been, as you said, Lord, born again, I pray that they would call out to you. 
Lord, I, I don't want to live by the ways of this world. Lord, I want to live by your ways. I want your ways that are higher than mine. I want to live by your kingdom and your kingdom's ethics, God. I pray that you would help me today, that you would forgive me, that you would cleanse my heart, Lord God. I need you, Jesus. And I commit myself, as you're calling me now, to follow you. Jesus says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You call upon his name, and he says, my sheep hear my voice. And he's the gate that he's calling you to today. He's calling you to come unto him. You need to receive him today. Not his works. Or, or, just receive his works through the person of Jesus. When he comes, he comes to do what you could not do in yourself. For every backslider that's here, for every prodigal son, I pray, Lord, for every prodigal daughter, that, Lord, they would come back to you, that they would turn and find that you never left them. That you never left them. We just turned our back on you. Lonnie says, just turn around, and there he is. Uh, come on, if his kingdom ethic is love, it's only because he is love. Receive him today. Receive him. one more time and I want you to sing this like kingdom people come on if your hope is in his kingdom then he is the only hope that we have let's sing through this one more time here and I want you to sing it like you are singing to your king the king of all kings come on let's lift our voices up hallelujah oh thank you lord Oh, hallelujah, praise the one who set me free, hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me, you have broken every chain, there's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ.
God bless you. Hey, don't forget, there's some ornaments back there. Please take those. And don't forget to get plugged into a life group. God bless you all. Have a beautiful day. Come on, let's sing this as we go. Hallelujah.